My name is Linda Nardelli. I'm a spiritual counselor and the author of Mystical Intimacy, a book on embodied mysticism. Today, my guest is Michael Stone, a radio host, spiritual mentor, shamanic practitioner, and a facilitator of, of trauma integration. He creates individual and group environments for transcending the myth of separation. And his work is about interconnection with, with oneself, with ourselves, and with others, and with life. I first met Michael at a Five Rhythms dance that he hosted uh, here on the Sunshine Coast, where I, I was drawn so much to his generosity of spirit. I later attended one of his shamanic workshops after I had the pleasure of joining him on his podcast. Michael is a caring friend. He's someone who feels and processes information very deeply and with purpose. And he's also a very deep thinker, as you'll, as you'll get to hear in this, in this conversation. And in today's episode, Michael is so adamant about taking the doing out of letting go. This, this episode is focused on the chapter nine of my book on letting go. And, and he says that letting go is less about what we're, what we're trying to get rid of, which is so true. It's not about trying to get unstuck. It's more about letting in and letting be. This allows awareness to do the healing and it returns us to our original wholeness. And I love how he refers to letting go as a, as a way of making peace, a way of making peace with the parts of ourselves that we see as neuroses, that we see as facets that, you know, these aspects that are wrong in, in ourselves and, and others and their facets that, that we resist, rather than try to pressure ourselves and others to change or try to be what we're not. Letting go is a surrendered state that allows us to be present to what is wanting to be experienced, seen, felt, and heard. So welcome, Michael. Okay. Hi, Linda. Hi. Thank you so much for taking time out in your, your busy schedule for me. It's a perfect break for me. Thank you. Oh, I've missed you, and I've looked forward to this call to to talk about something that's, I think, really precious to the two of us, which is the art of letting go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were the key person to share this podcast with, to share this conversation, because I think that's played such a big role in your life. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it has. I think, you know, Linda, one of the things... And, and you do mention it in the chapter, particularly towards the end, that is important to get is this letting go, we look at it as a doing, as something that we're supposed to be doing. And uh, there's, you know, letting go is not a doing. It's more of a letting in and a letting be. And we're so stuck in the uh, model of do, do, do that we don't really take the time to be with those things that you say, oh, we need to let go of that or we need to let go of this, which already presupposes that we have some neuroses or something that's wrong with us rather than getting curious and getting underneath and going, what is this thing I want to get rid of? Why do I want to get rid of? And what do I really want? You know? Mm, I that perfect entrance, perfect entrance you just made. Mm. 
I know. And I was looking at your um, your newsletter promoting your new event, and and it was very much there. The point of just I'm using my own words, but making peace with these parts of us that we see as neurosis, these aspects of ourselves that we see as as wrong. Yeah, as 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 dysfunctions. I think you know it's really important to recognize that whatever it is we're calling a dysfunction is serving a function and we don't know what it is so letting go part of letting go is really inquiry into well you know what is this thing that i'm trying to get rid of besides that the more we try to get rid of something you know there's a thing called the gestalt paradoxical theory of change which i've advocated for years that says you know rather than trying to be what we're not which means we're actually not present so rather than trying to be what we're not, we need to get really attuned to what we are and what is it that's uh, wanting to be seen and felt and heard that, of course, that takes you back to adaptive styles of, of development, you know, that they often relate to those early uh, traumas, disappointments, or places where we weren't seen, we weren't heard, we weren't felt. But instead of that, we think there's something broken that I have to fix. And then I go in this personal growth thing and I try to get all these tools and things and I get more information. You can't fix your story or your mind with your mind. <laughs> you really have to get in your body. Oh, and so no. for me, letting go is an embodied experience. I want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. I've had people say, what? They're so frustrated with the word embodied. Like, I can't stand that word anymore. I don't even know what it means. Yeah, well, that's, that's actually the state of the world. We're a disembodied culture. So why are, why are we disembodied? That's, you know, the question. And what is the, the um, uh, point? Why would we get disembodied? You know, if I watch a, a deer or a moose here walking, they're very much in their body. Mm. You know, human species is the only one that really has the actual ability to be so disembodied as we are. You know, in the corporate world, I used to say I work with heads on sticks. We only have bodies to carry our head to the next meeting. And, you know, really from observation, you would think that was so. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very uncomfortable, particularly with people who have any trauma, which is pretty much all of us, you know, um, of course, there's the big T and the little T, you know, um, there's adaptive, which we mentioned trauma, or I didn't get seen or felt or heard, but basically, my caregivers did an okay job. I just have a few neuroses that, you know, were a response to feeling not seen. And I made up stories and said, Oh, that must mean I'm a bad a bad person because we never make our caregivers wrong yeah. because that's the source of survival. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. when something comes up of that and, and we, um, you know, somebody yells at us or, or, or a great example that I like is, you know, we, we, how we develop, you know, we crawl out and then something happens. The dog barks at us, you know, and we come running back and say, daddy, daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. And daddy says, there's no reason to be scared. There's nothing. It's just the dog bark. It's okay. Don't worry. And, and so we go, 
I'm not supposed to be scared, but I'm scared. So what am I going to do with that? Well, what I'm going to say is there's something wrong. Am I going to say there's something wrong with my daddy? Hell no. I'm going to say there's something wrong with me. So then I will adapt to, you know, how that, oh, I'm scared, but I shouldn't be scared. So that's a problem. And then, you know, I'm 50 years old and I'm still dealing with, I'm, I'm running a company and I'm scared as hell, but I can't be scared as hell because, you know, they'll leave me, they'll abandon me and yeah. I won't have my connection with my, my people. Yeah. So we're, we're constantly dancing with that. And this is why people, you know, when I teach meditation, uh, I tell people, you know, if you're actually going to take on meditation and you're going to sit and be still, what you're doing is you're going to make space, inner space. Yeah. And, when, and that creates a greater capacity. Because when I say I'm stressed, you know, what does that mean? I'm, st I'm so stressed. It's almost like we have a game. I said, Linda, I'm so stressed. And you said, oh, I'm so stressed too. I had this thing happen and that thing. And it's like a competition about who can be more stressed, right? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. But what does it mean? Stress is one of those words like, I'm sick. If I say to you, I'm sick, what does that mean? Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. What it could symptoms? be I have a cold, I have COVID, I have stage four cancer, I have leprosy. It could be anything. Yeah. But it doesn't say anything. And it's a way we obfuscate what's underneath, which is where we need to get. If we're going to let, if we're going to learn to let go of anything, we have to go under the covers and see what's there. So I say, Oh, I'm stressed. What is that? If I'm stressed, it means that my current capacity is insufficient to meet the challenges that are in front of me at this time. Mm. Oh, capacity. Oh, I need to learn about capacity. How do I learn about capacity? Oh, I go to the body. Yeah. The body says, it feels tense. It feels tight. It's all these frozen parts of my past that I've dissociated and I've pushed down. It's in my body. So I go to meditation class and I'm sitting there and it's really nice. And I have rainbows and teddy bears and it's groovy and Oh, I feel so relaxed and I slow down and I talk nice and I, I sound like a sexy person, you know, when I talk because I've been meditating. But then I do it for a couple of weeks or a month or so. And all of a sudden it's like wild stallions are running through my head and there's bugs under my skin that start to, you know, <laughs> come up and I'm like really uncomfortable. And that's when it gets really juicy. That's when I then can attend to the interiority and say, oh, What's actually going on inside my body here? And I breathe and I notice, oh, there's some tension in around my heart. There's, there's tension here, tension on my shoulders. Oh, you know, and, I, and what's that about? And I really, I presence, I, I not presence, mm -hmm. I, I bring myself in like a verb, presencing. I bring my perception and the present together and I go into my body mm -hmm. and I say, hmm, What's happening here? You know, so I feel the tension around my heart and then I really focus in on that. So I, I go into it and look, what's going on here? There's tension around here. And I just let it be and I observe it. And, and, and I increase the depth of my focus. And all of a sudden, you know, I hear a word that says heartbroken. What's that? And, and then I, 
and then I go heartbreaking. Interesting. Okay. And I pay a, a little more attention and maybe I see a scene, you know, where I broke up with my first girlfriend or, you know, uh, my parents got a divorce or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I start to feel the feelings that I couldn't feel then because our nervous system and its amazing intelligence, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. I have this nervous system that, that has been evolving to protect me and the nervous system in its intelligence mm-hmm. at some point said, this is too much for this kid. It'll do him in. We'll push that part down. That's what dissociation is. Uh, it frees the past. And yes. so here I am with all these parts of frozen past, but I meditate and I make some space and I go, okay, I'm letting go. What am I letting go of? I'm letting go of nothing, actually. Mm-hmm. How can I let go of nothing? Well, I, I actually allow awareness to be the healing aspect of what it is I want to do. And so I allow myself to just be with there and I go into the brokenheartedness or carrying the weight of the world or whatever it is is in the body. And I allow the awareness to do the healing. There's nothing to fix because we're not broken. We are not broken people. We're not broken humans. We're born with original goodness. And then we have things that happen and the intelligence, the the great love of our ancestors and uh, the wisdom of evolution says, well, this is too much, push it down. And so then it gets pushed down and that's great. That's the appropriate response. That's a childhood friend says, you know, uh, I'm going to help you out right now, except that we're still doing it at 50 or 60 or however old we are because it becomes a habitual pattern. So why go to the body? Because that's where I get to let in and I let be, which I think is a a really more appropriate thing than saying letting go because it takes the doing out of it. That's what we want to do with letting go. We're going to take the doing out of it and we want to allow the tension, you know, so here's letting go. So listeners probably can't see it, but I'm holding a fist right now up in front of Linda and I'm, I'm going to say, now watch, watch carefully. I'm going to let go. See that? Mm-hmm. I'm tense. Okay. I'm going to let go. Yeah. That's letting go. Relaxing, relaxing Wait. the tight fist. It's a- exactly that. Exactly. There's no real doing there because when I bring my attention, uh, it will naturally relax. So I just bring my attention and, the, and my attention Mm. You know, when we have tension, we need to bring attention to the tension. And that's the awareness that causes the capacity to expand so that I can hold more. So now the stress and the anxiety and the overwhelm and the dissociation, then which are fragmented parts of our being, Mm -hmm. then uh, release that energy and there's more of us. And so that's how spiritually we grow to be able to open to uh, the, the the blueprint that we were born with and be able to yeah. feel our soul's path. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. And I live that. I teach that. I, I, I want to bring attention. I love that. Bring attention to the tension. And to bring, like, I love that the key is it's all about awareness. Because whatever we're denying, ignoring, becoming disassociated from, 
that doesn't go away. It does begin to wreak havoc. It does begin to show up in erotic ways in relationship or in a relationship with ourselves. That tension then becomes a pattern of tension or, or, or a disease, yeah. a chronic yeah. issue. And of course, our ego mind, our, our, our perception of reality wants to make that wrong. And then we go to therapy and we go to healers and we go to meditation classes and yoga to, just to make that go away, to make that chronic pattern go away. And, and we look at the chronic pattern like there's something wrong with us. I love that you said that because that's what other options do we have as children to consider what's to, to look at what's wrong with us. And furthermore, even as we start to come into a, a more of a sense of ourselves, the influence we have in our society, in our religions, predominantly in our spiritual circles, hugely, and in, in society as a whole. I mean, you have society, the mainstream that would have us all just be really, really savvy thinkers and always on guard and always prepared. And like people watching the news every day, being prepared. And then you have on the other side, on the spiritual circles, where we're being told that we're sinful. Or that the ego mind is the culprit and we have to get rid of the ego mind. I mean, we're, we're, we've been getting that information early in life. Yeah. So I find this new approach of embodied mysticism, embodied divinity of letting go as a state of allowing. And when we're all back to the real mysticism in spirituality, I find that it's challenging for a lot of people to grasp because we've been so trained and ingrained to see fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's, you know, when you look at thoughts, we have between 12 and 60,000 thoughts a day. I don't know how they measure that, but that's, <laughs> I guess they have a put you up to something and they listen to you for a day and average, you know, oh, he's a 50,000 person a day. 80% of those thoughts are negative. Yeah. 95% of those thoughts are repetitive. So we have very little creative thinking, particularly in the realm of uh, uh, the joy and positively, positivity of life, you know. So what keeps us stuck in that rut and keeps us, in a sense, it's an inauthenticity. You know, you talk about the ego. That's basically the story that lives us. We don't live the story. The story lives us. Yeah. And so when we talk about capacity, we're actually talking about how can I expand the circumference of my story to include more? Mm -hmm. So the thing is with authenticity, if you have a choice of attachment of being felt, seen, heard, loved, yeah. and authenticity, which one are you going to choose? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I want to marry the two so that it's my authenticity that's seen and understood and cherished. Yeah. And growing up, going back to what you were saying earlier about our childhoods, like so many children in high, highly incongruent environments, I compromise that for sure. 
to get love, to feel secure. I mean, mm-hmm. I was I was eight years old when I went to live with my grandparents after my mother's passing. And um, it was a, a secure home in the sense that parent grandparents were there. They were taking care of us. It was an insecure home in the sense that they resented having to take care of another family. And there, there was profound unresolved grief that um, was being hushed and secreted away. And every now, now and again, it would rear its its head. You know, the dragon would come out and my grandfather would become a rageful man that would tell us that we were ungrateful, undeserving children. And if it wasn't for them, we would have been put in foster homes or what have you. You know, you just went on and on and on. And my grandmother didn't say anything. And of course, as a child, I thought it's because she agreed with him. But really, she didn't have the power to hold her ground with him. So there I'm. I'm witnessing their own their neuroses, and what am I supposed to do at eight years old? So, to, what I did is like, how could I be a better little girl? So that because um, this is my home. Yeah. My my God, they're talking about foster care. Like, what 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 are we talking about here? Well, what what do you mean? Where am I supposed to? Yeah, there's a sense of dread would just take over. Yeah. And that's the adaptation. We become smart. We become pretty. We become, you know, giving, loving. We become uh, radical. We, you know, that's that's all part of it. And when you look at if 95 percent of everything is a reaction mm-hmm. of the 60,000, 50, however many thousand thoughts we have a day. That choice between being authentic and being in tune with our mind and our feelings, our emotions and our body are actually in, you use the word congruent. That's a, that's a really good word. How do I find congruency between those? Because oftentimes we're thinking one thing, we're uh, feeling another thing and we're acting another way entirely. Yeah. And so the question, you know, if you have a choice between that attachment, that connection, or the other automatic you're always going to choose attachment over authenticity until you have the capacity to actually expand the the uh stimulus and the reaction for enough rooms to where we have a stimulus and then we pause and we have a space and we go you know i can choose how i'm going to respond to this right now yeah. it's a slow that's the down. work that's the work that we do is to close to, to, to open that gap that usually happens with the knee-jerk response, which mm-hmm. is based on exactly what you're saying, you know. Uh, what do I do? What do I how do I survive? Um, you know, and it's always about us. So you can't you can't figure that out with the mind. You've got to go to the body, you know. And so mm-hmm. the answer to the question that your people that you're working with or are saying, you know, if you really want to be in the driver's seat of your life and be able to operate on your soul's blueprint rather than your dissociated parts blueprint, mm-hmm. then you have to go to your body because the body holds everything like uh, Bessel van der Kloek, you know, the, the body keeps the score. Everything that's ever happened, not only to you, but for hundreds of thousands of years of my ancestors, 
which is great because I have resiliency. They lived through times like this, war, famine, plague, COVID, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. they, you know, so we have all that adaptation, but we can't tap into it. So we get overwhelmed with fear. Mm-hmm. And right now with the media just blasting fear, 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 separation, separation, anger, anger, oh. pain, pain, you know, of course that's going to be triggered. So, you know, if we don't slow down, and actually take the time to be with. And again, you know, letting in and letting be is more when, when we're talking about letting go for me, the, the issue, because it's not something I need to let go of. I need to slow down enough. And unfortunately what's happened is people are moving faster, even though we're isolated. Some mm-hmm. people aren't, but many people are actually doing more and more and more. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I get caught up in that too. It's, you know, it's part of my, so yeah. And and then the other thing you said, these things are not going to go away necessarily. You know, Mm. you and I have had early trauma, lots of early trauma and, and um, those traumas, you know, it was just, it was the Monday was the, um, uh, how old am I? 76. It was the 74th anniversary of my mother's suicide. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I spent the day grieving 74 years ago. Oh, goodness. I'm still grieving. You were two, three, two you and found, a half, two and a half. And you found your mother. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it doesn't run me. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. There's so many things in our lives that we need to grieve and, Part of letting go is learning how to grieve. Yeah. We do not know how to grieve in this culture. We fear death. It's something horrible. We, 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 we don't want to, to feel because it, it hurts sometimes. But grief is the other side of love. It allows us to actually experience the depth of our love if we can grieve. If you can't grieve, you can't really love. You can't grieve, you can't really love because you're you're guarding your heart from feeling. Exactly. And Michael, taking the doing out and feeling and allowing yourself to be on Monday with that many years ago of your mother's passing, but that day, the day of, and it being in the calendar and you recognizing it and you being with the grief, what the, what does that look like for you what does that feel like for you yeah well in my courses i teach a grief process a 21 day grief process to teach people how to grieve to actually allow yourself to grieve i literally teach people on a daily practice to uh, get down on your hands and knees and weep and cry and feel and allow yourself to rehabilitate your ability to feel rehabilitate your ability to feel yeah and there's so much to grieve right now democracy is something to grieve all the people that are dying from covid and other ways you know the wars the starvation the you know but even more you know when you look at the environment it's very Mm. snowy here i'm looking out at the environment but it's very beautiful but and i think how do I grieve the loss of 200 species a day? Is my heart big enough 
to grieve that kind of loss. Oh, goodness. Because that's part of me. Yeah. That's part of me. And so, you know, if, if you're attentive to that, you'll feel the tears come up and you'll go, that's big. That's big. Cute. But I'm part of that. I'm part of that. Yeah. That's the system of which I'm a part. I'm not separate from nature, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm, I could feel Mass India's presence here. <laughs> Talk about how do you grieve something so, so large? You're, we're a part of it. And how do you ultimately grieve something we can't control? Can I, can I? Um, yeah, please. Yeah. I always love that. <laughs> <laughs> and find the words there. Yeah. Okay. You found them for me. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Our dear friend, we'd love to join this conversation with you. How? How? We, we, we kind of have an answer, really. How do you grieve? So much extinction. Your heart already knows and your heart has already been embodying this as you feel it. You feel the powerlessness that you can't change it. And you feel sorrowful for a changing world that you don't know what it's changing into. And the fact is, species have come and gone on this planet for a very long time. For us... We can't say we grieve exactly. We accept. But accepting is not the same thing as what the human condition has come to believe as tolerance or a disassociation from feeling. For us to accept means feeling the grief. To accept means being so curious, wondering where are these species going? What next stage of, the, of their evolution are they on? We bring deep curiosity. You spoke of that earlier. We want to bring attention to that again. Because when you bring attention to the tension, when you bring attention to the grief and how it's experienced in the body, maybe held tightly in the chest, maybe ignored in the belly, when you bring attention to that, that self-inquiry, as you mentioned earlier, you're being the author of your life. We're going to use some different words other than embodiment. You're being the author. You're inhabiting trust, bringing that to the authorship of your life. And you, in your long life, have been dedicated to the uncovering, the unfolding, the unfurling of the deeper knowing from within, not satisfied with your judgments or the judgments of others, not satisfied with anything that may limit your scope of experiencing. You've sought a broadening of experience, and it hasn't been easy. And, of course, the teacher in you, your nature, has been completely unable to prevent this unfolding. So the child 
the neurosis, the learned coping mechanism, haven't stood a chance, haven't been able to withstand the brightness of your being that you sought to free. But there are a lot of people in the world that want happiness outside of themselves. They don't seek to free their own essence. So when they hear this teaching about embodiment, there's an instinctive protection that comes into place, an instinctive kind of defiance. Some people will even convince themselves that they are letting go into, letting flow into, that they are allowing. They'll convince themselves and believing that they are holding space when really they are identifying with holding space. And we want to speak of this for the listener, not for you or Dophila, because you're not identified in that way. But you certainly have come across this. Those persons identified with being the awakened one or the chosen one, those are the people that won't choose to seek a spiritual teacher or seek healing, or they'll choose it, but they'll try to teach you. Or they'll find ways of getting in the way of what you're offering them. And you have come across this a lot, Michael. Nufila has come across this a lot as well. People who want Fulfillment, but don't want to be helped. They want to be helped, but they don't want to be helped. They want to be helped, but they don't want to open themselves to receiving. Another way of describing letting go has more to do with opening. But not opening so much that your hand is just loose, that you have no boundaries. When you dis- when you made that... Mm, hand motion with your fist, and you did a motion of letting go, it wasn't a palm wide open that you made. So many people are so fixated on becoming their identity of the awakened self, the enlightened self, become, become a, has become a goal. There's no embodiment or presencing in that. It's a goal to get to. And they think that they've arrived. Then there's this notion that the ego is identified with, with always being open. But you can't always be open. If you're always open, you're not discerning. You're not inquiring. You're not paying attention to the tension in the body. You're saying there is no tension. We don't say you as in you, Michael, but humanity, people that become very identified with awakened consciousness. Awakened consciousness is not a destiny. It's not a state that one arrives to. It's a way of being. It's a beingness. So we're going back to the very thing that you said at the beginning, and we thank you for that. That letting go is really about being. You don't let go of the identified ego. You don't let go of the fears. 
You don't let go of the pride. You don't let go of anything that seemingly stands in the way of your freedom. (laughs) Because nothing's in the way. (laughs) Every part of you is a friend. Every part of you is significant to the whole expression. And we are so pleased that this is the life you lead, that you lead, that you live and lead, Michael. And that your being just can't help but share it with the world. It is who you are. And it serves you and others so well. There is nothing in your world, nothing in your life, nothing in your sense of self that prevents you from living that incredible commitment that you've made to source. But there is a lot for other people that prevent them from making that kind of commitment, the attachment. So let's talk about that, what you see in others. You see a lot of attachment. Let's talk about how you help guide people that are so resistant to seeing the attachment finally admit to themselves that there is this incredible attachment and there is nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. Hmm. So much in what you're saying. Um, I think the first thing really is how do I find safety? Mm. You know, if I'm if I really want to grow, I don't need a camel driver. I don't need somebody that's a coach that's going to tell me what I should do. Um, I need someone that I can feel safe with. You know, I think that's the essence of if you want to be on a healing path, find, find a place that's safe, a a friend, a counselor, a teacher. But if you don't feel safe, go to lunch. You know, do something else <laughs> because that—that's the first thing that is is always really important in my courses and my work. Is does it feel safe? And how do I know if it feels safe? I go to my body. Uh-huh. I go to my body, and I recognize that if I'm in my body. So you know, there's two ways of looking at our our being, so to speak, I think. I mean, two ways that I'm thinking of, particularly regarding connecting. Mm -hmm. And one of them is from the classical physics sense of, I'm over here in Nelson and you're over there in Gibson's. We're on the other sides of BC, but we're, we're communicating through a vehicle here but you're still over there and I'm over here. Mm -hmm. But there's another way of looking too is, well, wait a minute. Actually, that's like 
a particle, a point. There's, you know, but we're both a wave and a particle. Mm -hmm. As a wave, you show up in my nervous system. Yes. And the more I'm in my body and the more I'm able to be present with you and feel you feeling me, then you're actually in my nervous system and I'm in your nervous system. Yes. So now I not only can feel myself, but I'm being assisted by being able to feel you feeling me and I can feel how you feel me. So that turns the issue around a little bit. So when you're talking about a safe space, we say, hmm, if safety is what's necessary and I can feel in my body and I can communicate and I can connect in a way that I can, I always tell people in my course courses that I want you to feel safe enough to feel just a little bit unsafe because that's the edge safe of your identity. Feel, safe enough to feel uncomfortable, safe enough to yeah. be on your yeah. edge. Right. To be at the edge of that, but yeah. safe enough to be authentic and, and to, yes. to allow yourself to feel that. So we're, you know, we're bringing that curiosity, that sense of wonder and ability to really feel in us the interdependent co-arising of our, our social connection here, our, yeah. our feeling together. And in that, when I feel safe enough, then I can actually touch those places. You know, I can tell you, you know, I, I, I felt really scared you know, mm -hmm. that, that, I, that, um, that I'm really lonely or that I'm really longing for something or that, you know, um, I'm feeling worthless. You know, whatever that is, that I can actually say that and you're not going to try to fix me absolutely and you're going to go wow you're going to go wow you go back to that baby we talked about earlier and mm -hmm. dad says well we, there's nothing to be afraid of don't be afraid and of course the child says but i am afraid so something must be wrong with me because i'm feeling afraid but i'm not supposed to be afraid but look at to go back to the attachment, let's say, and I don't want to make this about mom or dad or male or female, but let's say that the child comes to mom and says, mommy, mommy, I'm scared. The dog barked. I'm scared. I'm scared. She said, oh, sweetheart, come here. Come sit on my lap. You know what? I get scared sometimes too. And it's okay to be scared. Mm -hmm. Let's be scared together. Okay. And then the fear's gone. It's not, yeah. Because it's gotten what it's needed. It's gotten nurturing. It's gotten, it's been taught. It felt. To, yeah. it felt it's in, a, in psychological terms, the, the parent then has helped the child co-regulate. Exactly. And, and help, well, actually, it's been co-regulating and she's helped him self-regulate by, by modeling. How right. And it's, that's a really important point. I, don't, I think that some people think that, oh, I'm going to learn how to self-regulate. Co-regulation always comes before self-regulation. You can't self-regulate if you haven't been able to co-regulate. Yes, because true. that's the job, that's the mammalian 
you know, that's how we work. You know, mammals mm-hmm. like care for their they nourish. They give them milk. They hold them. They, you know, take care of them. They feed them, all of that. So if people are trying to, oh, I'm going to control this. And this yeah. is kind of like very masculine, like, okay, I'm going to get this under control. I'm going to, I'm going to run 20 miles today. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And yeah. I'm like, and I'm not going to feel any bloody thing in my body or anything else. I'm just going to do, do, do all day. And then I go back at the end of the day and, oh, I accomplished so much today. Why do I feel like <laughs> shit? <laughs> <laughs> or why does a week and another week and another week go by and the energy is drained? No, there's something I want to mention here is that when you were describing is that going into the body and feeling, your hand came to your chest. You're talking about and you're uh, you're role playing the you're thinking of some clients and yourself and people like when we're let's just say dysregulated, we're, or I don't want to use that word, when we're, something's alerted us to our body, something's alerted us, maybe we're sad, or, or there's just something off, and you went and put your hand on your chest, it's, there's a feeling that's going on in the body. And I have to pay particular attention to that myself, because my instinct like all of us, is to think through an issue, think through a problem, because, or, and to think it's a problem. Yeah. That's instinct. It's it's like a, let's say I wake up. I don't know. Maybe it comes from, from a dream. I don't know. But I wake up with that feeling in my solar plexus, just kind of like a yucky feeling. And you know, I mine wants to instantly say, "What time is it? I think you overslept." I was like, "Oh, you should be remembering your dreams." I would really like to remember you. Sit down and remember your dreams. Or you know, okay, what what do we need to do next? I'm like, stop, stop. What's really going on here? Like, wait a minute, I got that tinge, I got that twinge, I got that feeling in my in my body. What is that? Mm-hmm. And then the mind goes at work. Oh, what's well, I'll figure out what it is. And he goes in there with a, you know, a army of soldiers. Oh. Yeah. And, and that part that the I don't know about you, but that part of me, the moment that the fixer and the protector comes into play, that part just vanishes, just runs off and hides in a corner somewhere mm-hmm. because it's back to being fixed. It's like, these are parts of us that need to be heard, that need to be welcomed. Yeah. I think uh, as a therapist, you'll recognize this, that when you're working with somebody or as a healer or as a leader or, or whatever, the thing to recognize, I think, is that if you're thinking about what to do next, mm-hmm. you're not there. You're not present. You're not present. Yeah. The minute you're thinking about what do I do with this client? What do I do with this person who's got this problem? I'm no longer feeling what's happening because my, my body will know exactly what to do yeah. if I listen to my body. Yeah. But if I listen to my head, it's 50-50. It might work out. It might be something you knew. Oh, I'll do this trick I learned from Gabor Mate or Peter Levine or, you know, somebody, you know, oh, I'll have you do Vu or, you know, yes. some, <laughs> something like that. And, and, and that's not going to make a difference because it's coming out of your head, not out of that kind of connection where 
again, the person feels safe enough. I can be there with them mm-hmm. and I can mm-hmm. feel their fear and I can, I will know exactly what to do, what to say, what to ask, you know. Because you're attuning. You're attuning. You're yeah. tracking them. Well, we become a resonant body for their experience because it's like, you know, when you, when, when, uh, uh, there's a guitar sitting over in the corner or something and, and you, you make a certain noise and it's a resonant body. Mm-hmm. We're like the body of a guitar. And, yeah. and so when somebody says something, we can feel the resonance of that. The strings are vibrating the, in our body. And so we follow that follow that tune, follow that, that uh, vibration uh, to find out, okay, you know, what is there that wants to emerge? And that's, that's really, you know, people think that people think about time, like there's a past and then there's a future, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's now. And it's like this linear mindset, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's one way of looking at time. That's chronos, the Greek word for chronological time. Yeah. But then there's kairos, and and then there's um, forgot the third one. That's just the everything. But mm-hmm. you know, chronos is time space, mm-hmm. like in physics. That time and space are actually collapsed in one thing. Yeah. And when we're really attuned, and when we're resonant, we move into time space. And when you're in time space, then you tap into the future. So the future is always actually in the present, mm-hmm. emergent because of the space we create for innovation, for creativity, for things to come through us yeah. that are in attunement with our, our blueprint, our vertical connection with the divine, with spirit mm-hmm. that comes through us and gets expressed out outward so um yeah i think i said what i need to say about that does that make sense what i'm saying it uh, i'm hearing you i'm hearing you and it brings me back to the piece on safety Mm -hmm. that as the listener as the friend as a therapist the coach the leader the teacher that staying present staying in resonance or as the person in a challenging situations to lean back a little and ask yourself, what's really wanting to emerge here? Less, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I, I've experienced that with my, with my spouse. You know, when I'm trying to share something and I could see him trying to figure out what to say, I don't feel connected anymore. And, and he'll go there and give me opinions. Or, and I've learned to pause and say, um, I could see you're trying to figure out what to to tell me or what to do, or, or it sounds like you're trying to give me some advice and that's not what I need right now. But I had to be th- just as mindful in my work as a therapist because it's easy to get caught up. It's really easy to get caught up in a person's narrative no. and to start feeling trapped with them and to start like, they're asking myself, how do I get on trap? How do I, what do I do? And I'm like, Oh, what do we do? What do we do? It's easy to like in resonance to join someone in their neurosis, in their um, stuckness, and be stuck with them. And, and that's that, very different than being the space that's holding that. Yeah, that's so a the, very different place. 
That's a different subtle. place. So that's a, yeah, it's a subtle difference, but it, it goes back to safety because if we get caught up in being enmeshed with the other person like that, yeah, we're in resonance, but now we're in an enmeshed state. Then that's not a safe place for either of us. No. Nope. Yeah. I mean, if we can just observe, it's like, oh, that it's, 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 it's like, then I could say to somebody, it's like, oh, I can see how stuck you're feeling. Yeah, yeah, this tough spot you're in. Yeah, and even more, we're in. We're in. Oh, awesome. We're in this together. I like to say the you and me is feeling very scared right now. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Then we know what's going on with the other person by feeling it. We know what's going on for us and how we're how we're interacting by feeling it in the body. In the body, yeah. Thank you so much, Michael. <laughs> so good to be with you, Linda. Thanks for bringing Masandia in too. That was that was fun. <laughs> no, yeah, it is fun, and I love your receptivity, and I could feel you holding space because the the channeling becomes so enriching when we're holding space together for it. We're doing this together. And I and I just love the way your mind works, and I love your embodied presence. Mm, thank you. It's a mutual admiration. And you know uh, what was it you said? Something. I just want to underscore. You know, there was a thought that came up back there that we have the capacity to be the author of our life, and mostly we're being the spear carrier in some carrier in somebody else's opera. Yeah. You know? And, mm-hmm. and to just know that, yeah, this is a choice. Mm-hmm. And we make, I had a number, but I forgot how many. I think it was like 10,000 choices. I always like to get numbers to <laughs> you know, quantify things like this. I think it was that we make 10,000 or more choices a day. Okay. And how many of those choices do we actually make consciously? And how many of them are choices that we allow our souls to make through us? Yeah. And I had an experience recently, a, a tuning in experience of a just a, a, a condition that's been repeating itself. And I just, it, it was attention that needed attention. And the more I got close to it, it felt really yucky. And the more I was with that yuckiness, you know, instead of digging in and getting what it is that was upsetting me or what it is that I'm holding in or you know, what, I don't know, childhood or ancestral kind of remembering what happened instead. And I've had experiences like this and, and they're so freeing. Is a countering energy started to unfold or unfurl was the word I use. So I felt this tension in underneath the solar plexus. And I felt the unfurling happening from my back, right above my sacrum. And it started to move up and it started to move up and move up. And I got this strong sense of knowing that, oh, this perceived issue is not for me to resolve. It's not for me to fix change or it's not for me to do anything about. 
Again, allowing. Mm -hmm. This is the work of spirit. Yeah. Letting in and letting be. Letting in and letting be. So much is healed through us, not from us. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you, Linda. Thank you. The Body Soul Podcast is brought to you by Linda Nardelli. You can find out more about her book, Mystical Intimacy, on her website, lindanardelli.com, and on Amazon. The podcast is her deepening exploration of the book's messages and the teachings of Masindia. Music for this episode is from the Purple Planet Collection, written and performed by Chris Martin and Jeff Harvey, and the podcast editing by Igor Masharikov.